Oh, yeah. If I was just going and quoting some of that Back to the Future. Oh, I mean, you built a time machine out of a DeLorean? I mean, it takes me right back to my late my late teens when that movie came out. Michael J. Fox. Indeed, indeed. Well, you've already heard the voice of Bill English here this morning in Mornings with Carmen. I'm going to try to bring us back to the rails of the track that we're clearly off of at this point. Bill, I would love to get your take on sort of the economic impact of the coronavirus. I admit when the virus first came out, I thought it was a bit of a sensationalized news kind of idea that, you know, the news always needs something to talk about 24-7. And so it's hard to discern sometimes those things that actually matter versus those things that have been hyped up. But I got to admit, I'm a bit of a slow convert, but a convert I'm becoming to the idea that this really is going to be an ongoing global situation. It's going to be an ongoing goal. However you said that, I I can't (laughs) pronounce that those words this early in the morning. Uh, yeah, I still think it's overhyped, but they're saying that 3.4% die of the virus, Yeah, uh, whereas it's just 0.01% die of a normal flu. Problem is, I think that 3.4% might be skewed a little bit on, on the severity curve, kind of lep- leptocurtic, I think, if you remember that from your statistic days. <laughs> I do not. <laughs> you yes, don't remember leptocurtic and mesocurtic? You right. don't remember those? But what it sounds like to me is maybe we have a bunch of underreported cases, and so yes. maybe the, the death rate is simply related to the fact that a lot of people have the virus but haven't reported it or don't know it just yet. Right, and so they're only reporting the really severe, right. severe cases, and that's why the percentage is higher. Having said that, it is a real thing. It has shut down China. There's global supply chain problems. You're experiencing this in your business that you own. And uh, and when when you don't have a good supply chain, you have to either cut back production and you're not going to be able to sell as many widgets. And as a result, your your um, revenue gets suppressed and then you end up having to make cuts either in uh, payroll or cuts right. in purchasing or cuts throughout the business in order to stay profitable and uh, and banks get worried about that kind of thing so this this coronavirus really is connected to our entire economy in one way or another. Yeah, it really is. I know in my business, we have suppliers in different regions in China, maybe four to five of them, and and some of them are up and running. But uh, certainly, again, the sort of verified the news broadcast for me is when I would connect with some of our uh, liaisons over there, and they said it was just a ghost town. I mean, towns entirely shut down, people terrified to come back to work and people were not out in the streets. I talked to a friend of mine as well who married a girl from China and, and in her hometown and, and some of the places she knows, again, it's empty there and, and it's slowly starting to come back, but now it's beginning to pop up around the world. And so I think that some of the fear associated with this is the economic fear that we've seen represented in the stock market over the past, I don't know, week or so. I don't follow these things terribly closely, but these were some pretty huge drops that I were reminiscent a little bit of 2008 and nine when the crash happened and these things were just plummeting in ways that we hadn't seen before. Well, markets need certainty in order to be stable, and they rely on the right information at the right time in order to be stable. Mm-hmm. And so when they have new information that comes at them that is of, of this kind of severity, you'll see them start to price in that information. And that's what the market's been doing for the last week and a half, really. <clears throat> They've been pricing in uh, this uh, this coronavirus and its effect on the global supply chain and its effect on Europe as well. Yeah. And, you know, this thing is now in, gosh, last time I saw it was like 55 countries. And I think the big hotspot in the next 30 to 60 days will be Africa. Yeah, agreed. I think it's just going to spread throughout Africa, something fierce. And <clears throat> they are pricing it in. And so those stocks, those companies that do a lot of business in China or have a lot of their supply chain in Asia, 
they are devaluing their stocks because they're assuming that the companies are not going to perform as well. And so that's really what is happening here. And we certainly see it in a company as well known as Apple. Many of our yes. listeners will probably know of Apple computers and their Apple iPhone and, and the iPads and all of that. And they're coming out and saying that they are seeing a significant impact from all of this. Well, you know, most people don't know that China is actually Apple's largest market. Yeah. One out of every five phones that Apple sells, it sells to Chinese in China. And uh, they have, they create over there, uh, 70% of all the iPhones that are manufactured for Apple are manufactured in China. And so they have, they have these mega um, factories where they employ a quarter million or more people in a single factory, which, you know, yeah. is just hard. Uh, it is hard to believe. Hard yeah. to, it's hard a major U.S. city in a factory sort of thing. Well, yeah. <clears throat> you know, I go to the Indianapolis 500 where they put in 400,000 people in a single day sporting event, right? Yeah, yeah. And you imagine that every day that number of people go to a factory to produce something. It's just, it's just amazing. Uh, so most of their products are assembled in China. And Apple has already warned their investors, like Microsoft. You know, Microsoft, 20% of their sales is in China, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, they Apple warned their investors they won't meet sales estimates. Market cap has dropped over $100 billion. This thing, this coronavirus, even if it is overhyped, right. or even if it's not overhyped, and this is all the worse it's going to get, it has really negatively affected our stock market. And, and to your point here in terms of life in China and just the sheer number of people, again, yeah. I know some of the firsthand accounts of just sort of a standard way in life in China. If you try to get on a subway, if you try to get on an elevator, it's assumed even socially that you have to elbow and push and shove your way into these places. And nobody takes offense to it, but there's such a mass number of people that are trying to just get places. And so you see something like the coronavirus, which is highly transmittable yeah. uh, on so many different levels. You can see why it became an epidemic just given how China is in terms of its sheer size and population base. And depending upon the quality of the information that they got at the grassroots in China, you know, you don't know, but it certainly has shut down a number of of factories and a number of towns. And and you and I both seen the news reports about that. Absolutely. That's the voice of Bill English. When we come back, Bill, let's talk a little bit about what we can do and how we respond in these times. Is this something systemic and we need to do something different maybe with our finances as people are listening and maybe experiencing some of the fear or also taken back to 2008 and 9 when our 401ks dropped by half or more? Like, what do we do moving forward in the midst of all of this? So we'll get that advice from Bill English here next on Mornings with Carmen. Welcome back to Mornings with Carmen. It is about 19 minutes past the top of the hour, and we are chatting with Bill English from BibleAndBusiness.com about the recent drop in the stock market. And, Bill, I'm sure we have a lot of listeners right now that find themselves back in their space maybe 12 years ago. And when the stock market crashed, and we saw, obviously, 401K and retirement accounts just plummet. And it really did disrupt people's plans and ways of life in in some pretty dramatic ways because people who otherwise might have been planning on retiring were suddenly having to work for three, four, five, six years to make up for it. Do we see something similar with this coronavirus or is this more of a transient situation, at least to the extent you understand it? Well, compared to 2008, no, we don't see that in the stock market. It's not going from, you know, 29,000 to 14,000. Uh, in other words, it's not going down 50%. It okay. may. Yeah, Who yeah. knows? Right. Who knows? But I, I don't think it's going to do that. I think it's going to bottom out somewhere in the low 20s. Yeah. Huh? Just, that's, that, that's just me. First thing, don't panic. Just don't panic. If you are a long-term investor in the stock market, the stock market traditionally returns over a 20-year period an average of 10% a year rate of return. 
And there's always going to be ups and downs. So if you're in the market for more than, uh, I'm going to say, five years or more, uh, this is just a blip in the Mm -hmm. road, quite frankly. And uh, in fact, it might be a time for you to extend your positions. This, you know, you buy low, sell high kind of thing. This this might be the right time for you to go in and buy additional equities because there's some real bargains out there right now. And it, and it might be a time for you to do that. If you are a short-term investor, well, you shouldn't be in the stock market heavily anyways, <laughs> right, right? right? You know, if you're elderly, 75, you should be focusing on on uh, preservation of principle rather than, you know, trying to take these high, more highly risk-oriented investments. Um, yeah, your 401k is going to be hurt, but my advice, just stay the course. Again, uh, if, if you're, let's say you're 40 years old and you got, I don't know, let's just say 50,000 in your 401k, it's going to recover just fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, even if, even if it takes it a year to fully recover, it, it's going to be just fine. So what accounts for these tremendously volatile moves like this, where you'll be down 700 one day, a thousand the next day, and then all of a sudden up 1200 and then down 800. I mean, do you well, just sort of have to emotional just, too. Yeah. I know? mean, you just have to ignore the noise of that and let it sort you of do. stabilize. You do. And, and the market uh, really reacted weird yesterday in the sense that the fed made a, uh, a surprise move to cut interest rates. I, I think that. it was a half a half point. A point yeah. And and the market by noon had decided we don't like this <laughs> because it presented more uncertainty. Yeah. You know, had the Fed waited their two weeks until their March FOMC meeting and then cut it there, I think the I think the market would have reacted very positively. Mm. Quite frankly. So yeah, do you suggest in people that are maybe dealing with sort of the loss of their four hundred one k at least some position within it, and it's going down a little bit, and maybe they're sixty five, seventy years old, and semi retired? Is it a good idea to have even a part time job at that point to have another sort of steady source of income, or what do you recommend for people? Because if you're leaning entirely on your retirement positions, then this can be pretty scary. It can, and yeah, I always, but but just not because of this. But because of theological reasons, I think people should work until they die. Interesting. And so, yeah, if you're 65, 70, 75, I still think you ought to have some kind of productive work, whether you're getting paid or not, is 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 lesser of an issue for me from a theological perspective. But uh, yeah, if you need money, uh, then go out and get it. Uh, if you're re- if you're depending on your retirement and you're getting jitteries and you're in your elderly years, um, call your financial planner and ask them what you should do. But. Yeah. Well, and you talk about the theological reasons of it. I think it just calls to mind my own father, who, when he turned around 62 years old, he said, well, I could retire, but I've got, let's just say, a quarter of my life left, whatever it looks like. And so he asked yeah. God, you know, what what do you have for me in the last quarter of my life? And and while he sort of stepped away from vocational work to some extent, he's still involved with his business vocation. Uh, it's been fascinating to where to watch where God has taken him on behalf of the kingdom, using all of these gifts and talents that he's acquired over yeah. all these years as an experience, and, and as opposed to becoming sort of irrelevant and fading into the distance at some golf course community in Florida. It's just been amazing how uh, to watch God take this poorly educated uh, central Minnesota man who barely got himself through high school, and now he's translating the Bible throughout Africa. And God does that with us when we're willing to continue to work on behalf of the kingdom, we don't just fade into irrelevance uh, in the economy of of what God is up to. You know, Ephesians 2.10 talks about how God is uh, preparing us for work that he wants us to do in the future. Yeah. 
and he's preparing that work, in the, and he's in the future preparing the work for us to do it, right? Uh, and I want to pick up on a phrase you said, poorly educated. He might have been poorly educated in terms of how we have education standards. You got a Ph.D., your dad barely graduated right. high school, right? Right. But God poured into him the very things Absolutely. that he needed in order to be able to do the ministry that he's doing now. He was not poorly educated in that sense. He is God's workmanship and God created him and and worked him. And that's that's the thing. That's the thing that bothers me about elderly people retiring. They have so much to uh, give, yes. and they don't give it back because they have bought the lie that the golf course in Florida and that community, you know, the villages, let's go live at the villages and right. let's just have a wonderful life. No, get into a ministry and pour back into the young people what you have because God has poured into you. It's time for you to pour back out. Yeah, when you talk about those things, Bill, it reminds me of that passage in Corinthians where God chooses the foolish things, quote-unquote, of this world to shame the wise. And I, I would suggest that uh, never more mindful of that was I when I received the Ph.D. and it was this great accomplishment and all of that. Yeah, and it but, is but, a great accomplishment. Well, of course it is, but, but what I found interesting about that is it had no capacity in and of itself to tap into anything related to kingdom power. And so Correct. kingdom power comes as we are humble, as we walk in right. trust and surrender. It doesn't come from our fancy letters or our vocational success. Yes, in fact, uh, some of that education can cloud our minds and keep us from really hearing uh, the Lord and being sensitive to his spirit and being sensitive to what God is saying to us. Yeah. So in the last couple of minutes here, how would sure. you encourage people to take some steps that direction, even if they're maybe being moved this morning and say, wait a second, maybe I'm not done with life altogether here. I've got more to give on behalf of the kingdom. How do you begin to take some steps in that area? You know, I think you get on your knees and you ask God, what do you want me to do? Hmm. And, and take a look over the last 10 or 15 years, maybe 20 years, and say, what have I really enjoyed doing? And because uh, God usually puts that enjoyment in us if he's calling us to it, normally, anyways. Yeah. And uh, and then say, now, how can this be used in ministry? Go talk to your pastor. Go talk to your friends. But make sure that you're following the leading of the Holy Spirit and, and ask God to uniquely give you a ministry mm-hmm. that will bring him the glory not you. And uh, you pray that and God and be ready. <laughs> right. Be ready because God may very well call you uh, to something that you thought was unexpected. Oh, and also this, be prepared to risk yeah. because there's no significant ministry without significant risk. And if you're going to be engaged in real ministry, God's going to ask you to risk. So don't think it's going to be easy or comfortable all the time. Yeah, it certainly is a dangerous and risky, but beautiful yes. prayer to pray. Yes. I sometimes tell my students, you know, what would it be like if God was actually real? And if he was, how might he intersect with your life and call you to something different in, in this world? And that's really the invitation here. Yeah, that's that, and that's a great way to put it. Yeah, it's great to see you as always, Bill. Yeah, Thanks for your insight you. and wisdom. It goes so fast yeah. with you here in studio, and I just appreciate the thoughts around where we are with the economy. And, and even from a theological standpoint, it's not about money at the end of the day. It really is about how we participate with our money within God's kingdom. Exactly. Well, great stuff. We'll see you again soon. We'll now yeah. wrap up our time with Bill. And when we come back, we're going to have some pretty interesting stories to talk about related to the Middle East. And uh, Paul Pro, help me pronounce our next guest's name uh, because I don't think I quite have it right. He's from the Middle East and he's talking about the Christians in Iran and I'm You're super intrigued. You're going to put me on the spot now. Okay, I am. If I, I am. remember right, it's Parmaz Shariat. See, I just can't quite get that one right this morning. But if you're listening, you're definitely going to want to stay tuned because he is working within the Iranian Christian scene. And to see God moving in the Middle East like this is fascinating. So more to come here on Mornings with Carmen.